Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the second of four podcasts discussing the effect of the coronavirus lockdown on the mental health of children and young people. This week, my guest is Professor Louise Arsenault, Professor of Developmental Psychology at King's College London. Professor Arsenault, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Before we look at the effects of lockdown itself, what data do we have about the nature of mental health in children and young people in the UK before the arrival of COVID-19? Right. Well, that's a, that's a very kind of a broad question in some ways and a very difficult one to, um, to answer, I would say. What we know about children's mental health, um, children and young people's mental health, is that the early years are really important for the development of mental health. So what we know is uh, the vast majority of adult mental health problems and mental health disorders are detectable and diagnosable you know, in childhood. So 75% of psychiatric disorders in adulthood are preceded by mental health problems in childhood. So in some ways that this is an important findings because it really says that the origins of mental health problems happen during those early years and that we can do something very early in life to either change the development or stop the development of mental health problems. Um, adolescence somehow is much more a period of change. So this is a good time to kind of uh, modify the trajectory of mental health problems. So it's not too late, but it is um, a good time when we can still do something to change you know, the development of mental health problems. In adulthood, I think it's much more difficult to um, intervene. It's never too late. It's never too late to do something. But I think that adolescence and childhood are very uh, much key period for the onset and the change of the course um, uh, of mental health um, problems. And we know that when it comes to physical health and, and mental health too, the earlier we intervene, the better it is. So it is really important to recognize mental health symptoms in, in young kids and being able to do something and to stop that. What we have at the moment and, and what, what was happening before COVID, um, we had a mental health crisis. And the mental health crisis, I think, was not necessarily affecting an increase in levels of mental health problems in young children, but it was a crisis in the health services, mental health services, in that we didn't have the resources to be able to answer the needs of young children who were manifesting kind of needs for treatment. So as you can imagine, that was the situation before COVID. So COVID made things slightly more, if not a lot more complicated. So let's talk a little bit about those complications and some of the research and understanding that we have. In the first weeks of the pandemic, the Academy of Medical Sciences and the research charity MQ Transforming Mental Health convened an expert panel, which you were on, to identify priorities for mental health research in the light of the pandemic. That led to a paper in uh, Lancet Psychiatry in April 2020. Right. I'm sure there have been other papers and other studies and other things as well, but what are the main research priorities identified when it came to children and young people and their mental health during the pandemic? Well, it's, it's interesting because talking about the paper which appeared in Lancet Psychiatry 
in, um, I think it was in the spring last year, what we realize now when we look back is that the priorities changed, you know, given COVID. I think that that paper was written. I think that probably maybe some people knew that it would last for a long time. But in some ways, I think that no one in that panel kind of knew what was ahead of us, you know, in terms of challenges. So I think that that paper was really written in the context of a lockdown. You know, what happened last spring when we thought, okay, we need to stay at home for a few weeks and then life will kind of start. We didn't know that we would spend a whole year, you know, in that situation somehow. So I think that maybe one thing when we look back now is maybe kind of break down the um, risks that are associated with COVID. You know, it's not just the virus and it's not just the lockdown itself, but I think it really kind of changed into what is the impact of social isolation? You know, some of us haven't met people, you know, for quite a long time and some children didn't have social interactions, you know, for a long time as well. So this is what happened in the past year. And if you look ahead now, you know that there will be economic hardships and children will suffer from that as well. And that pathway was not that clear when we wrote that paper, you know, last spring. So, so I think that the, um, the scene, I think in some ways has been changing given, you know, the evolution of the situation since the publication of that paper. But when we kind of um, wrote that paper last year, one thing that came up really strongly was the importance of monitor mental health problems in the population. At that point, we didn't realize that some people who would suffer the most from the situation would be young children. If you remember, you, you know, last year in the spring, the people who were more at risk or the people who were more a uh, topic of concerns were the elderly because they were more likely to suffer, to, to, to get COVID and to die. And then they were the front people, you know, working uh, on the front line. These were kind of really people of, of, of concern, but in some ways, I think that it didn't occur to us that uh, it was the back of our mind, but I think that it's only the long-term situation which really affects young children's mental health. So one of the priority was definitely monitor uh, mental health problems. And although there was an emphasis on anxiety and depression, I think that in the past year, we realized that people tend to react differently to the situation and mental health problems seems to kind of happen you know, in response to the situation, but it's different for different people. So suddenly people kind of realize that it's not just anxiety and depression that people seem to suffer from, but you have eating disorder, you have gambling as well, um, you have PTSD in some, you know, population as well. Um, so children are really more likely to suffer from a, a wide range of problems. And I think in the next year, next years, it would be very important to monitor, to have in place a system to really monitor mental health uh, symptoms, you know, in, in young children. There will be an emphasis on vulnerable groups. So while I think it's really important that we monitor mental health symptoms or difficulties in the whole population just to see what's the fluctuation, I think it will be really important to put an emphasis on populations at risk. And population at risk quite often is people who already have mental health problems. So I think that um, not only we do need to monitor 
changes in mental health in that population. I, need, I think that we need to have in place services and support system for those kids. So let me unpack some of the things yes. that you've said. One of the things you said that there needs to be a need to monitor, and that suggests to me that there isn't at the moment a structure for doing that monitoring. If that's the case, what would a structure look like to monitor some of the things that you've been talking about? Well, I think that one of the environment where all the kids kind of uh, are developing, you know, of course, beside the families, there's the school. So I think that the school could be a good environment where we can have a system in place to really kind of monitor children's well-being and children's kind of difficulties. It, it seems to be a, a, a good system which would be in place, which could facilitate, you know, this kind of monitoring. We don't want to wait until children get to mental health services. It, it's, mm. it's too late in some ways, you know, at that point. We want to have a platform where we can reach as many children as possible, children and young people, to kind of detect fluctuations, not just diagnosable disorders somehow. Education system will have, will face kind of, um, you know, their sets of, of difficulties and challenges in the, in the next few years. But I think that probably, you know, schools are, are probably offering a good platform to be able to monitor that. And of course, it will, it, you know, it has to come with some kind of a, a coordinated approach, you know, so what do we put in place to be able to kind of monitor those, those fluctuations in, in well-being and, and mental health problems? And how do we measure that? How do we collect the information somehow? And one of the other things you said in an earlier answer was focusing on population at, uh, at risk. And that throws up the question as to whether you think that the main concern of the COVID lockdown is a worsening of mental health conditions from people who already have identified mental health issues, or whether it's an increase in the total number of children who might experience such issues. I think that there's probably a little bit of both, isn't it, in the situation. I don't think that there's one scenario which is excluded from the other, but I think that those people who need it the most will, you know, the people who will need the most support and help are definitely the ones, you know, who already experiencing challenges because of their life, because of their socioeconomic situation, because of pre-existing condition, whether mental or physical health. So they will be the one to experience the worst, I think, outcome associated with the COVID lockdown situation. But this is not to say that people who don't have mental health problems prior to the situation will not experience their share of difficulties and may kind of uh, develop long-lasting situation as well. So in some ways, I think that we need to strike a good balance in between providing much needed resource, intensive resources for vulnerable young people and children, but also ensure that at a population level, we do address needs of young children. And those needs kind of involve social contact with young kids, other kids, educational achievement, you know, being making sure that they can go to school and learn, um, but also interact with other kids, that their parents do earn money to be able to pay the rent and provide food as well. So I wouldn't want to ignore one 
at the ex you know for another one i think we need to address both we're all hoping that the lockdown is going to ease in the coming weeks uh, and as we sit here schools in england are due to go back in the next few days and in the other devolved nations uh, some have gone back and some are going back soon does the the evidence that you've got suggest the extent to which the lockdown uh, which has caused the problems that those problems are going to be eased significantly once the lockdown is uh, over or have we stored up a long term of mental health issues that will need to be tackled well beyond the lockdown? Mm. Oh, that's another tricky question, I think. I would like to project myself in the future and know what will happen in two or three years, but I think it's, it's very tricky at the moment. I, I think that we need to have, we need to address needs, mental health needs, right now, but we have to put in place a structure to be able to examine and anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And I'm not sure that we have that right now. I think that going back to school and, and having a, a more relaxed sets of restrictions will probably kind of help not just young people, but parents and families. So this may be a, a good sign, but whether that will solve everything I wouldn't bet on it, but I think it will definitely improve the situation. I think that for a proportion of, an unknown proportion of the population, I think that some of the problems will be long lasting. And because again, you know, the lockdown or the restrictions may be lifted, there will be economic hardships, <laughs> you know, as a consequence. So it, it's not a direct effect of the lockdown or the pandemic on mental health problem, but it is the effect of the lockdown, the pandemic on socioeconomic hardship, which will then have an effect on, you know, young children. And, and that kind of third factor in the equation, you know, the consequences will be long lasting. No, no, for sure. Uh, and so much of what the government is doing is trying to look at economic recovery and, and, and so on. Yes. In terms of research in this area, what further research is going to be needed over the coming months and years? Well, I think that it will be really important to keep monitoring. You know, we have data now on populations before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and I think it will be very important to keep monitoring. So we need resources to make sure that we keep on monitoring population in general, but especially young children, mental health and well-being for sure. I think that we need to invest resources in, in being able to meet those mental health needs from, from young people. In terms of research, I think that we need to have probably a much more coordinated approach into studying the effect of the pandemic globally, not just the lockdown, but much more the whole kind of situation on young children's mental health. And a coordinated approach probably would need to integrate or include not just social sciences, you know, which is something I, I support a lot as part of my, my work, but also we need to integrate much more kind of medical research. So including uh, examination of the biological and genetic factors involved, you know, in 
in this situation um, and involve into the development of mental health problems. But we also need to include kind of people who are involved in technology, developing the technology that will allow us to either monitor uh, on a daily basis, you know, those kind of symptoms, but also provide services to those kids, you know, who are difficult to reach in the first place, and even more so now that we cannot have face-to-face contact with them. Um, They will also be important to include demographer, people kind of looking into population and, and geographical kind of variation across the population. So I think that we need to have a coordinated approach, try stopping to work in silos, and, and for sure kind of getting more resources to be able to conduct that work. It's a complex, it's a complex issue. And I think that we really need to get together and pull together our brain, our expertise to be able to tackle this. So one area where that may happen, you're currently the Economic and Social Research Council Mental Health Leadership Fellow. What does that mean? That's my first question. And uh, how can your position in that role help take forward some of the things we've just been discussing? So I've been working with the ESRC, the Economic and Social Research Council, for the past four years now in promoting mental health research in general, but more specifically in social sciences, and making sure that mental health research had a huge social science component to it. So it's really kind of building bridges between mental health and social sciences and making sure that the two are really interlinked. So what I what I do basically is really promote social sciences, you know, with mental health researchers. And then I go and see social scientists and I kind of say to them that it's really important to include mental health research as part of their program. And I also try to, uh, maybe not so well, but I try to influence the government or <laughs> policy makers, you know, this is a, a huge dream in saying to them that they need to invest in in mental health in mental health research this is a, a huge challenge and i think that we should not shy away from doing that as opposed to something which is concrete you know think about a disease you know which um maybe cancer or heart disease which is easily measured and you have a clear idea of the factors that influence the onset and the development of the disease, mental health is much more complex. It is really difficult to measure, to understand the causes. You know, there's not one cause. There there are multiple sets of factors. And of course, there's stigma. You know, we haven't talked about stigma, but stigma is affecting the work that we can do uh, with mental health problems. So in some ways, I really try to raise the profile of mental health research, encourage people and especially social scientists into doing mental health research and trying to kind of people get together. You know, I work at the Institute of Psychiatry where we do lots of genetic and and research and trying to kind of integrate that all together. So in some ways, I think if I had two messages would be definitely more funding to be able to conduct the work. At the moment, I think that we are fighting to get small pots of money. I think that we need to have bigger pots of money and we need to come together and work together to make that pot of money kind of efficient. 
So that would definitely be my first recommendation. And the other one would be, we need to have a healthy competition between each other, but we need to collaborate together. All of that's very clear and very hard to disagree with. Thinking for the moment, and this is my last question, outside of research, what would you say the priorities are for government outside of taking forward and funding new research, but in this area of mental health for children over the next couple of years? I will start with one, which would be supporting parents. Um, I think that parents need help to be able to do a good job at what they're doing. You know, in terms of parenting kids, the better they do, the better the kids will be. So I think that we need to really provide um, support to parents and parenting starts very early. So it's not just when the baby is born. I think that even pregnancy and even before that, you know, is important to support parents to be, let's say. The other one would be education. We need to kind of, and especially as a response to COVID situation, I think that we realized the importance of education, that it's not just about math and English. It's about a whole environment that we provide to young kids, not just to learn, but to develop, to interact. To So it's really important that education gets recognition from the whole population about the work that they do, but also the resources that they need to do a, a good job. And then I think that the other message would probably kind of being able to provide services to young children who need, who need it. You know, there's lots of things that we can do when kids are young and they just develop symptoms of mental health problems. And I think that we need to identify those symptoms. We need to take that seriously and we need to do something. And if we don't have the proper resources to do that, then problems will just get worse. And again, it's never too late, but it's much easier if you intervene kind of early. Um, so if we had a small pot of money, I would definitely I would definitely hope that a substantial proportion would go for the early years, even if that doesn't bring votes, that doesn't solve a problem. We try to prevent a problem. So it's difficult to assess, isn't it? But I think that this is where, in the long run, this is where we have to invest in the early years. So that would be my three wish, I think. Fantastic. Well, let's see how many of the three the government take forward. Uh, that's all we have time for. Professor Louise Arsenal, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Professor Louise Arsenault, Professor of Developmental Psychology at King's College London. The topic of the effect of the coronavirus lockdown on mental health of children and young people is the subject of a webinar being hosted by the Foundation on the 24th of March. Details of that webinar, which is free to attend, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, our blogs, our journal, and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, for the third podcast in this particular sequence, I'll be talking to Kate Day, Managing Director of KRD Training.